Gyro Nation Metal. Welcome back to Gyro Nation Metal. My name is Jeff, and I'll be your host. Vancouver's Mall just released their self-titled debut album on January 14th of this year. Mall is one of the newest additions to Canadian heavy metal. Johnny Mall, the band's bassist and one of the official founding members, joins me today. Johnny, thank you. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, man. For some of the listeners, there's not much to hear about you on the internet. Uh, can you just tell me a little bit of your background? How did you get into metal and when you started playing bass? Um, well, I've been involved for music pretty much basically all my life. Uh, but it was really Guitar Hero that started it, specifically because I didn't own Guitar Hero, but everybody else did. And I was that guy who was like, oh, man, fuck you guys. I'm going to learn to play guitar for real while you're playing with a toy. But um, I wasn't really enjoying playing electric guitar, and I didn't really know any bands that I could kind of uh, get inspired by, if that makes any sense. So it was grade 11, and I think it was like the second or third day. And I'm telling Buddy, yeah, I don't really enjoy playing guitar. And he's like, why don't you try bass guitar? And I was like, what the hell's a bass guitar? And then he, he pulls out his Walkman and he's like, here, check out this band. And he puts on a Wrath Child by Maiden. And like, not two seconds in, I'm like, I pause it. It's like, dude, what is that? And he's like, that's bass guitar, man. And I was like, whoa. So I borrowed his uh, Walkman for the entire day. And I didn't pay attention to any of my classes. It was great. And I just kept looping that song on repeat. And I was like, this is... This is incredible. I've never heard anything like this. Then I borrowed my band's, um, or excuse me, I borrowed my school jazz band's bass guitar and took it home. And I looked up a tab of how to play Rothschild. And like every day after school, I just kept practicing it and practicing it till I could play it. And I think it took me a month. And then after that, I was just like hooked into it. And that's my uh, entry into the world of bass guitar and heavy metal. It's that one day I still remember it. And so was uh, Iron Maiden your first the like heavy metal band that you heard? Did you repeat that? It came out. Uh, it got a little robot voice there. Oh, sorry. Was Iron Maiden uh, the first heavy metal band that you heard? At least, at least knowingly, I'm sure I heard some other metal bands like just through around, but I never really paid attention. Maiden was the first one I actually paid attention to. Okay. Then after that, I think I looked up on YouTube. Uh, best metal songs just to be like oh what other metal is there and then the next big band i got into was ensiferum actually because they came to town pretty soon after i started liking metal they were my first metal show and those guys rule that's an interesting jump from iron maiden to ensiferum um yeah kind of i mean the guys in ensiferum like iron maiden i talked to them on facebook one time oh cool and uh yeah they were making a meme about something about all other albums and then Ensiferum's album. And I was like, guys, you guys rule, but you're not Iron Maiden. And they responded saying, yeah, you're right. Okay. <laughs> so I've also read that you have a background in classical and jazz. Yeah. So I did, um, I did classical trombone for 10 years and then, wow. uh, I did jazz trombone for like four years part of, at the same time, like the last four years. So, I started off in classical and being able to read sheet music and all that, which apparently blows people away. That's where I started. My drummer as well, Eddie, uh, he went to school for classical piano as well and drums. So he knows all this stuff. So we got a varied background. 
Yeah, and it seems like it it definitely translates well into your music. I hope so. When you started playing the classical trombone, was that something that your parents kind of chose for you, or did you choose that? No, I chose it. Um, a lot of things are I see it and I'm like, oh, that's cool. I need to try that. Yeah, I was watching I was watching the Naked Gun movie, and at yep. the end, when the USC mark a spoiler, by the way, for this forty year old movie. Uh, at the end, when the bad guy falls off the edge of the stadium and gets stomped to death by the USC marching band, they're playing Louie Louie, and right in the front are all the trombones, and it's like, oh, that instrument looks cool, I want to try that. So that's just how I got into it, I just saw it, and it was really cool. And strangely enough, I ended up joining a football marching band for the Toronto Argonauts when I was 12. Oh, cool. That was a bit of a shock, playing to like 16,000 people. Yeah. I've been playing this instrument for like a year. What's going on, man? That must have been a really cool feeling, especially um, like a professional football team. Yeah, it was. Yeah, we were. It was part of the the group was called the Argonauts, which of course very clever. But it was, yeah. Before games, they'd have us out on this on the field, and we'd play like you know some pop, uh, some like general pop songs or whatever. And there'd be all the people in the crowds not really paying attention. But as a 12-year-old, you're like, oh, my God, there's like thousands of people looking at me. Oh, my God, what's going on? It's quite a weird sensation. And so uh, I'm assuming that you're not originally from Vancouver then? No, I'm from Toronto. Okay. And have you lived in Canada all your life? Um, I mean, basically. I've I've traveled quite a bit and lived overseas, but not for any significant amount of time to say that. I haven't lived in Canada my whole life. Okay. But I've lived in Toronto, Montreal, and now uh, Vancouver. That's interesting. I've, t- I've talked to a lot of people um, that have moved like substantial distances. And one of the things I feel that I could have done differently growing up is, is moved somewhere else. Like I've been born and raised in my city. So it's, I haven't experienced the same things. Well, with Canada, if you move anywhere, it's practically a substantial distance. I mean, in Europe, if you drive for an hour you're in another country in canada if you drive for an hour you're still in the same city that's true i mean where would you want to go if you move somewhere really if you like where you are then you kind of don't need to no that's true and i guess it depends on like um you know nowadays it depends on the job and and different kind of Mm -hmm. uh, opportunities but it's also i mean you can also take into consideration uh political climate or even if you're really into sports you can choose something like hey i like the argonauts i want to move there oh my god (laughs) i just don't feel like leaving i have no reason to so i've never actually considered someone doing that before like moving to another city because they like the sports team that's kind of that's kind of funny i've seen some really weird stuff in my life and uh i'm sure people do it i'm sure they do (laughs) some people have some interesting motivations for sure yeah I'm, i'm sure that's just a new one for me and so you said you uh, were playing for the Argonauts there at about 12 years old. So how did that feel basically going on stage? Like uh, you said that people were paying attention to you, but did you have like a, a stage fright? Did you kind of, did you have to psych yourself up? Okay. So it wasn't actually stage. We were, we walked into the middle of the field, like just in the middle. So there was no stage. Uh, so kind of like and, a halftime. Yeah. Except at the start of the game. And I was incredibly freaked out. I was like, what am I doing here? I'm 12. These people are probably professional musicians. Uh, it turns out they weren't. Yeah, they were just electric. Like half the people were just playing tambourine. It's just, I don't know how this thing came to be, but it, it was. 
And then after opening, we would just walk around the stadium and just play every time there's a first down or when there was like a break or something like that. And but every time I played anything, I was very nervous. And how did you get over that? I don't think I did. I think I just did it. Judging by our conversation so far, it seems like you do kind of just jump head first. I mean, there isn't really another option if you're just put in that situation you just kind of have to like accept it and then just power through it it's like um it's like if you're on a boat and you have seasickness right like you can't leave you just kind of have to deal with it like where are you gonna go you're gonna jump in the ocean (laughs) yeah i guess there are worse options that's for sure Mm. and then did you have to memorize uh different marches and stuff like oh yeah oh yeah tons um we had like those little marching band booklets that you can stick to the uh instrument but there are a couple like anchors away was the one we had to know like all the way through because that's the one we played every time there's a first down mm-hmm. but he usually be like, okay switch to this one and i knew how to i knew how to sight read and all that so it wasn't really big too much of a big deal to switch songs on the fly well that's good um did you guys have to march in step as well like i, I just know uh with like law enforcement military ceremonial uh, guards they always have to be in step no, no, no. We didn't have to do that. So okay. we would we would just move to different parts of the stadium during the game and then just play and then move to a different part. We wouldn't march and stuff. Like, I've never actually done march and stuff. Okay. So fast forwarding a little bit, now you're in Vancouver and mall is now becoming a thing. How did that start? Um, well, I took a break from music for a couple of years to go to, to, go to college. Okay. And I was, I was kind of done with music at the point because it's at that time, I thought it was like a zero-sum game. Like, you throw all this money into it, and then nothing comes out. Mm-hmm. And when I went to college, because uh, you love this, when they make you introduce yourself in front of the class instead of just wanting to get through it. So they asked me why I was there, and I was like, oh, um, heavy metal, don't pay no bills, so I'm here to, you know, do something else. And uh, everyone laughed, and I was like, dude, it's not a joke, man. Like, there's no <laughs> money in this. So I was kind of done with it, and then... I moved to Vancouver because I looked up on a Canada immigration where to go based on jobs and everywhere just said Vancouver, Vancouver. And I was like, Oh, Vancouver. Okay. It rains there all the time. So it's not gonna be super hot. So that, that'll be cool. Lie. It gets so hot here all the time. Like what the hell? I thought it just rains. Um, and then uh, I think one or two months in, I just started getting the itch. I was like, you haven't played bass in a while, man. What's going on? You haven't written any songs in a while. What's going on? You still want to be in a band. I know you do. I was like, fuck, man. Okay. So I looked on Craigslist and uh, I found an ad, or excuse me, I posted an ad on Craigslist. And at the same time, I found an ad that was basically identical to mine. And uh, I messaged Jude and it turned out to be Jacob. And I was like, okay, let's meet up uh, downtown somewhere. And then I got an eight pack. And then this is back when people still use iPods. So I was like, okay, here's my, here's my iPod song list. You can see if we're in the same bands. He's like, yeah, we're in the same, we're into the same bands. Like, okay. And uh, we set up a jam. I was like, okay, I'm going to see if I can find a, a lead guitar player and a drummer and we'll set up a jam, which actually ended up taking like five months. But uh, yeah, it still ended up happening. So January uh, 13th, 2017 is the first time we jammed as our old band group summoner, which also was a Friday the 13th. So our band is, uh, founded in evil. Thank you very much. Nice. And then, uh, 
after that, we had member changes, but me and Jacob were the main consistent guys. Then when we were when we were gearing up towards making our first demo, uh, Jacob was like, hey, there's other bands named Summoner. If you Google Summoner, other people come up, so we should change our name. And everyone was like, I think that's unnecessary. But he, he was like adamant, we have to change it. So yeah. uh, we all started pitching different band names. I wanted to go with Warnicorn. It's like a unicorn, but for war, because unicorns are sick. Do you know they're Scotland's <laughs> name? Well, it. it's not hilarious. It's actually badass. You just don't get it. Uh, All right. Teach me. <laughs> uh, the, well, unicorns are Scotland's national animal, which is just awesome, number one. Number two, I unicorns no are sick. You know what horses do in war? Oh, my God, man. Like, And you get a horse with like pretty much a magic sword attached to its head. It's just running straight through people, goring them. You have like this demon on its back. That's so cool, man. That is so metal. But the guys in the band were like, you're right. That's uh, that's too metal. We can't use that, unfortunately. And I was like, oh, oh man. So we went through a couple different name ideas, and then none of them were. No one really liked anybody else's ideas, really. So I was like, well, let's just use my last name then, because it's also a name for a medieval warhammer. And yep. if anyone else is using it for licensing reasons, I can always just say, well, technically it's my name, so I can use use it if I want to. Blah blah blah. So that's how uh, that came to be. And so did you guys uh, shy away from that partly because of the genre of music then? What about using Warnicorn as the name? Yeah. No, they just thought it sounded stupid because the guys in my band are dumb. It's such a, <laughs> such a sweet name. And now it's on this podcast. Someone else is going to take it. Hey, you have all the credit then to it. They have to credit you on any albums they make. Or you could start a side project. Oh, that's not the point, though. It's oh, I just wanted to use it. It's, no one else is allowed to use it ever. That's just... It's just the rule now. With your rebrand here, uh, you started with Summoner. Um, mm -hmm. Did is that kind of when the nicknames kind of dropped off as well? Um, I, I think it was after we released the uh, the demo. I kind of just removed them from the band page, but I honestly can't really remember when I did it because I know I know our old uh, lead guitar player James was the one who pitched Summoner because when we first started jamming, we also didn't have a band name. And uh, he just said Summoner and we're like, okay. And he's like, okay, that's what it is now. It's done. I'm deciding this. It's done. We're like, yeah, okay. When I got rid of the nicknames, yeah, I still I still don't really remember when I did it. I, I usually just make them based off rhymes of people's names. And then people just look at them and be like, oh, okay. So no one's ever really into them, at least openly. Because I think they actually are really into them deep down, but they just don't have the, uh, you know, the stuff to kind of like wear it outright. But yeah, I ended up just getting rid of it for simplicity's sake. You know, no big deal. And you mentioned earlier that you guys that you uh, write the songs as well. Is that do you write like the lyrics and then all the instruments? Who me? The band or... Yeah. Oh, um, well, our writing process varies, right? Like, I always say inspiration strikes at the most inconvenient of times. Uh, I saw an interview with Phil Linnett, like from Thin Lizzy Forever, Forever Go, when they're talking about how he writes songs. And he's like, well, I actually write most of them on the toilet because that's when the ideas come. And I was like, dude, that's so real, man. So what will happen for me is I'll just be going about my day and then I'll hear a riff pop into my head. And then I'll be like, oh, shit. Okay, remember that. And then when I get a chance to play either on bass or my keyboard, be like, okay, so that's what the notes are to the song that's playing in my head. And then I'll play it a couple times be like, okay, 
I need to make sure this isn't another song first. And then when it isn't, I start working on it and then kind of go from there. That's if I'm doing the riffs first. Other times I'll read something or hear a phrase I really like and be like, that'd be a sweet chorus. And then I kind of write the riffs around that chorus. And then I try and get a hook. And then I build the rest of the song around that. So that's typically how I write the songs that I pitch to the band. The other guys, uh, they tend to do a more collaborative style where they'll, they'll have a riff. And they always do riffs first. Where they have a riff and then they bring it to the band and be like, hey, uh, uh, this riff, can we build on it? And we're like, yes. And then we do it. And then we're like, okay, what's the song about? <laughs> like, we don't know. That's why I kind of think it's better to write the lyrics first. It's so much easier writing a song around lyrics than it is to write lyrics for a song. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of my, my process right there. Did you guys always know that you were going to play heavy metal? Or is that something that you kind of just naturally uh, moved into? Oh, I got the robot voice again. Uh, did you guys always know that heavy metal is the musical direction you wanted to take? With this band, yes. Uh, as individuals, I'm not really sure. I think for your own personal taste and genre, it just kind of like clicks in. Mm-hmm. Like with music, I don't like it when people say, oh, you have to listen to this and you have to think about it the whole time. I think when you listen to something, it should just click right away whether or not you like it or not. And with me, metal d- does that like instantly. I get that immediate click and it's just kind of, no matter what style I'm trying to play, it always ends up sounding kind of heavy metal anyways. So I might as well just roll with it, right? Yeah. But then we have influences outside of metal too. Like um, we don't limit ourselves to any particular genre. Like if we write a song that sounds like more poppy or more jazzy or something, as long as we enjoy playing it, it's going in the band. I think that's all that matters. I mean, it's your music. You should enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, there's still, there's some things about certain bands. Uh, like, let's say, let's take Maiden, for example. They stopped writing like really fast stuff and really driving stuff. What, in 2010 or something like that? And people were like, oh, you can't do this. This isn't Maiden. Like, excuse me. This is what we like to write right now. Just, just fuck off. Yeah. So it's kind of like that. If we end up writing songs that sound non-heavy metal or something, as long as we still like them, I mean, that's the point, right? Yeah, exactly. And so what I'm hearing from you is that uh, you generally like like when bands kind of experiment with their sound. Um, I like it when bands do and play what they want. Mm-hmm. Rather than like doing what they think their fans might want. Because then it's kind of like self-serving and it doesn't come off as genuine. Uh, do you write the lyrics? Uh like all the lyrics or uh, no no i don't write all of them i'll i'll write lyrics for his songs and if the lyrics uh flow quite well we'll pretty much use them but because i'm not the singer i'll i would give the lyrics to jake and be like hey here's the lyrics for the song uh change them if you want but this is what the song's about so like i i consider songs to be like stories so I'd be like this is the plot of the song through these lyrics so if you change the lyrics, try and keep the plot the same. I think Jacob ended up writing most of the lyrics for the album, but uh, I usually wrote the choruses, and there's a couple songs that I wrote all the lyrics for as well. Did you guys always have like a lyrical theme in mind? Like you guys do, uh, you guys have a lot of like Conan and Robert E. Howard um, influences, like Red mm. Sonja. Is that something you knew you wanted to get into? Oh, for sure. It's just stuff we already liked. I like we didn't yeah. go. And with the um, 
with with the idea of oh this song has to be about this so let's write a song about robbie e howard or or the conan or lord of the rings or whatever we just ended up being like hey this song reminds me of this thing that i already like so i'm gonna make the lyrics about that so that's how we go about that so then your uh, lyrical theme might change over time with your subsequent albums oh yeah it changes per song yeah fair enough um, are you, you're obviously like a sword and sorcery fantasy type fan. Oh yeah. Do you collect the comics as well then for Conan and Red Sonja? Jacob is the Conan guy. I'm more okay. of the Lord of the Rings end guy. Cause that's, that's what I grew up with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think he collects any of it though. I think he just, uh, reads it online or something like that. He also likes a lot of, uh, fucking what's his name? HP Lovecraft as well. Yep. Like, Father Time is H.P. Lovecraft inspired. Okay. I'll have to go back and... So Sumner, actually. Are you guys... Um, so, so with Lord of the Rings, uh, I'm kind of branching out a little bit here, but Dude, go uh, quite a few years ago, I was introduced to Wheel of Time, and I was told that it's basically Lord of the Rings on steroids. I'm okay. basically just wondering if you're a fan that of That is not true at all. Like, when you talk about Lord of the Rings, you're not really talking about Lord of the Rings. You're talking about tolkien in general like the kind of world he built and mythos he built goes so much further beyond lord of the rings like if you find out the reason lord of the rings exists it's kind of mind-blowing like tolkien wasn't a writer first he was a linguist first like he made his own languages and was like oh i need a world to use this in to use my fake languages in that's why the lord of the rings world exists just to use those languages so all the stories all the fantasies that's what it's for and he ended up creating his own religion, his own mythos, like these own his own creation stories and thousands of years of history before Lord of the Rings, just for those languages. Like that is beyond insane, number one. I've read some of the backstory of Wheel of Time, and I know they're trying to encapsulate some some of that, and I appreciate what they're doing, but man, it's like you're like comparing K2 to Everest. Yes, K2 is very tall as well, but Everest will always be number one. Well, I think he's a, basically the pioneer of that uh, that that genre specifically. The genre. I can't think of anybody building. else. Yeah, exactly. I, I can't think of anybody else from that time period that that had. I would even say that level of imagination. Well, um, C.S. Lewis also did that fantasy stuff, and him and Tolkien were actually were actually friends. But the Narnia series was never quite as good, like at all. It was never as big either. Never in, as in depth. No. But that was, I think that was the only, like, com- comparable, uh, um, the words escaping me, comparable books at the time. Yeah, fair enough. And that but, was, that was back in, like, the 30s. Yeah. But then, of course, you also have the old English uh, myths and the old Norse sagas and stuff like that to compare it to. But those don't have, like, a real writer. Those are just more from scalds over time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Tolkien was kind of, like, the guy, at least in my mind. He was, like, the guy who who really set that kind of thing in stone. Well, and everything else that's coming nowadays, I mean, you look at people like, uh, well, with Robert Jordan, you have Brandon Sanderson, so many other uh, fantasy writers, they build basically off of what Tolkien brought mm. to the genre, or actually just made the genre, I guess. Mm. It, I just like the way Tolkien went about it first, because these people have a story to tell first. Tolkien was like, I need a world to build for my language. So he made everything kind of, 
makes sense from there. Uh, the Dune series is a lot like that too. I'm actually just getting into that. I hope uh, my first book's coming shortly. Okay. Which is your favorite book? Out of the Dune series? Yeah. Oh, the first one. Okay. Yeah, it that's, gets... Uh, is the first on my list, so that's good. I don't really want to explain why, because it'll be a spoiler if I tell you. And I think even saying that is a spoiler. So uh, I respect I'll, I'll, just, I'll just leave it there. Like, have fun with it. Sounds good. Um, Are you excited for the new movie coming out? I thought it already came out. I have no idea. I am so lost in time right now. I couldn't even tell you. <laughs> I'm not really. I'm not big into remakes and stuff like that. Like the um, the David Lynch one is just so weird. But I think the weirdness of it, like, fits perfectly. I think the new one looks way too clean. At least from the trailers. I might give it a chance, but it's not high on my list right now. Same with the Amazon Rings of Power series. Oh, I'm not excited for that. If oh, it's just gonna be bad. Like the Hobbit movies were just plain awful. Number one, and then Amazon is doing a whole series based off this. I do not think they're gonna respect the source material at all. I think this is gonna be an obvious cash grab, and I think it's gonna be terrible. Well, I mean, to split the Hobbit from one book into three three-hour movies was pretty ridiculous to begin with. I still and like then... the um. The Rankin Bass or whatever, the old animated Hobbit. I I like that one. When I, I thought that one was really good. From like I 1978 or something no. like that. So with this Rings of Power, is it supposed to be like, is it supposed to be bringing that source material to Lord of the Rings, essentially? Um, So it's supposed to cover the Second Age when Sauron went under the guise of Anatar, like the bringer mm-hmm. of gifts when he run, went around giving all the Rings of Power out, like nine for the men, seven for the dwarves, three for the elves and all that. So it's supposed yep. to cover stories through that time, I think. But I honestly have no idea what they're doing, if what their plan is, and how they're going to respect the source material. So we'll have to see, but my hopes are not high. Well, if if I'm banking on them changing anything, I could just look at uh, The Wheel of Time and how they adapted the series to the the television series. And it, and it, it is quite different. Mm. Same idea, but a lot of differences. So I bet you there's going to be a lot of changes. Yeah, there's definitely going to be. I haven't actually watched the Wheel of Time series or gotten too big into it. I know the general gist of the story, but how there's different ages and each one's represented by the spoke of a wheel in a never-ending cycle. And then there's one dude who wants to break the wheel to to end the cycle, and then the Wheel of Time actually takes place on our Earth. Like, the world we're living in now is actually the past of that world, which I think was cool. And then Something with magic. Only women can use magic because if guys do it, they'll go crazy or something like yep. that, which is an interesting concept. I should get more into Wheel of Time. It's pretty good. Like uh, my experience with the books, I mean, the first few books were great and then it kind of drags out. And then you started to notice when Robert Jordan was getting sick, like the writing just wasn't as good. Yeah. Um, but if you plug through all the books, Brandon Sanderson came back and just did an incredible job of finishing things up. I think he did things very well. Um, when we're talking about the TV show, there were definitely some things I didn't enjoy, but to translate that series into TV, I think it would be re- very, very difficult to keep it 100% true to the source material. Isn't Wheel of Time like 14 books or something like that? Like a ton of books? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. so if they were going to do the series, it's going to take them, what, like 20 years? I think I think they're going to kind of do what they did with Game of Thrones and start um, where they started bringing in... I guess, aspects of different books into the season. So they're going to do the Game of Thrones thing and just make it awful. 
is what I hope they don't do. fuck it up. I you really hope they don't fuck it up. Dude, you just said they're going to do the Game of Thrones thing. What do you think is going to happen? I have hope, though. I do have hope because I really – I didn't mind the first uh, – actually, I'll change that. I really enjoyed the first season, um, but I also had to separate it from some of the source material. So mm. there's two different paths there. I guess you have to view it as two different versions of Wheel of Time then. You have the OG Wheel of Time, which is the book series, and then you have the Wheel of Time – uh live action series and you can't really you just have to separate them and stop comparing them i guess if you really want to enjoy it the full experience but then i don't like doing that i always like comparing to the source material yeah and there's definitely stuff that they added that they probably shouldn't have or just just could have gotten away from yeah exactly Mm -hmm. um but overall i enjoyed it it's a good it's it's a good series i think so far okay i don't know what season two is going to be like but who knows do you know when it comes out uh, the first season is out. I think the next season is coming out. Oh, shit. It's already 2022. Uh, so this year sometime. The okay. last one came out. What was it? Um, it was an eight. Yeah. Eight episodes. The first three were released instantly. And then you had to watch one per week, which I thought was great. It gave me a little bit of a chance to digest the episode, kind of see what I liked, what I didn't. Um, it also gave me a chance to get the wife into it, which was great. Oh, nice. Um and then they just released the last episode just before Christmas. So I think probably around the same time this year. Yeah, like an end of the year type of thing. November, mm-hmm. October release. Yeah, right on. So I'm really cool. I'm really shitty with transition material here. Uh, I do want to go back into music here for a moment. Uh, I read in a previous interview. Yeah, right on, man. Your, your album was called Paid in Blood at first. Is that Was that like a working title or was that something that was just... It was uh, a working title. Yes, the okay. chorus... It's the chorus of our title track, and we're like, okay, let's just use this as the working title for right now, so we mm-hmm. can lump all the, uh, like, all the, because di- when we got the album done and sent to us, there was, like, three different versions of it, uh, whether it was going to be sent to the CD for digital or for vinyl pressing, so we just put it all in one lump called Paid and Blood, these are all the Paid and Blood files, so we'll just keep that over here, and we can have other files over here, so it's just for convenience sake. Okay. And so yeah. you guys spent a little bit of time uh, waiting for the album to be finished. Oh, dude, we spent forever waiting. It took so long. Like, we finished recording and got uh, everything mastered and done, I think, in, like, oh, April 2020. Yeah. So we were in post-production hell for forever, just trying to get art done so we could make the EPK and then start sending it out to labels and stuff like that. Like, it straight up took, I think, a year just to get the art done. That that sucked, man. It's like, every day I was like, is this going to be done yet? We have the songs. Weren't we doing anything with this? Let's start doing stuff with this. So was the, the delay in art uh, due to not being able to find someone? Or was, because uh, I know you had Dave, Dave Levi Holland on mm-hmm. board for that. Was that was it difficult to find somebody? Or it was, was the design just, first. Kind of, Jacob, um, okay. Jacob pitched the design for the art, and I was like, okay let's let's get this done and then he had it done and he was like dead set we're doing this 100 percent. and then he started showing it to people and they were like yo this is terrible and uh and then the rest me and the rest of the band were like yeah man we just didn't want to tell you because uh yeah so i was like okay i have a sketch of a design i want to do let's i will get this done i will get this done this will be the art we can release and then everyone was like yes let's do it so I messaged me and Daniel 
uh, the ex-lead guitar player, messaged one of his buddies down in Argentina. And uh, mm-hmm. he did some art for us. And I thought it was really good. And I pitched it to the band. And they're like, okay, it's really good. I was like, sweet. I'll start making the EBK. And then we can start sending this out. And then like, excuse me, then like uh, two weeks later, Jacob's like, oh, by the way, I actually hate the art. And I was like, what the fuck, man? Come on. Let's get this done. And then he, he was just like, no, we're not using it. I was like, oh, fuck. Okay, then. We just argued for like a month about it. I was like, okay, then instead of just saying you don't like it, do what I did and give an alternate and get something else done instead. So he basically had uh, Dave Levy Hall and just redraw it or redo it. And I was like, okay, that's yeah, let's use it. And then that was it. And once you got Dave on board, like, was he pretty easy to work with? Uh, What did you guys provide him? Oh, I drew a sketch on a piece of paper and then took a photo of it and then we sent it to him. Yeah, and then he just basically worked on it, artistic yeah. freedom kind of thing. Yeah, like I have a rough design of what I want, but I'm not uh, a particularly good visual artist. At least that's what other people tell me. So I tell them this is the basic idea. This is what's. It's a lot like songs, where I I think uh, an image has like a story in it as well. I'd be like, this is the plot of what's going on in this photo. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and here's the basic outline, like the sketch would be like the basic outline of it and be like, but you can fill it in however you want. I like the old school, like grainy look to it. It's, it's definitely got a heavy metal look, I guess. Yeah, it looks the way cool. I'm seeing it, it. It also looks a lot. It reminds me a lot of, um, Haunt and Beastmakers album covers too. I think this guy, um, has done a lot of album covers for, uh, Pacific Northwest bands. So I think it's probably in that same style some guy said it looked like the old ray harryhausen uh, stop motion skeletons i was like someone else knows who that guy is wicked that's cool yeah i didn't know his name but i know exactly what you're talking about yeah the old jason and the argonauts guy yeah that's cool yeah it's good stuff so um i know you guys just released your album and mm-hmm. with all the weight that you had to go through is it, is it feel like a lot of pressure's off oh we're still waiting right now uh we have our CDs, but our vinyls are going to come next week. Once we get the vinyls, that's when it's like, it's on. It's on, man. That's when everything's going to get big. But um, waiting for the release, it kind of wasn't really... <clears throat> it didn't really feel like anything. It was just kind of like, okay, just wait for the release. Uh, our label's going to put out a couple of our songs as singles. Okay. And um, then once it released, we're like, okay, it's released. And it didn't really feel like anything changed. I think, I think having the vinyls in our hands is going to be like the big thing that really sets it home. Because we even have the CDs now, but it it still doesn't feel like that big. So I think having the yeah. vinyls right there is going to be the big thing. Like this is really it. This is it's done now. It's finally done. Oh my god! I'm guessing that you guys were also making new music throughout this wait period. Um. So. I have a thing with songwriting where, uh, how, how should I phrase this? Okay, so for the first album, I wrote a lot of the material. And then I said, okay, we have enough songs for the first album. I'm going to stop presenting new material for now. And we'll get this done. And then you guys can add your own songs. And then I said, but I already have material for another album. But if we do what I did the first time, it's just going to be a lot of me, me, me again. So I'm only going to do three or four songs for the second album. That's it. The rest is going to be you guys. 
and then everything else I'm going to save for the third album. So even before we recorded the first album, I was already planning songs for our third. So we have we have tons of material going. So I'm guessing once we're able to do a tour, like a really, really decent tour or two, then we'll go back to the studio, do, do an EP or something like that, or just go straight into doing another full album. Because I think we have at least three albums worth of material, or two more albums worth of material right now. That's quite a bit. I mean, I've never written a song, but I can't imagine it being easy to come up with that much content. Um, It's not easy and it's not difficult. It kind of just, at least for me, it kind of just happens. Mm-hmm. Like, um, like how I said, a riff will pop into my head or I'll get a, a catchy hook line and try and write around it. Sometimes I'll go a week and I'll write a song every single day of the week, but then sometimes I'll go six months and I'll have no ideas. You just kind of have to let it happen naturally, I think. Like, if you go in and try and write a song to sound a specific way to fill a deadline, you'll end up, like, with what happened with Warren when they wrote Cherry Pie. Ended up being a hugely successful, popular song, but the guys just ended up hating it so much. And like you touched on earlier, it comes out being... uh it doesn't feel like it's genuine, right? Yeah. With songwriting can get difficult depending like how hard you want to go with it. But if you're just letting things flow, like, like if you write a song that's like really technical and hard to play, like when Mm -hmm. you're writing it, you're not saying I want this to be really hard to play. You're just kind of letting it happen. And it just so happens to end up being difficult or being technical or so on and so forth. You just kind of have to let, let it go into a flow state and kind of, feel it out be like yeah this this feels good this sounds good i like that so i never viewed writing songs as being particularly difficult but i also don't view myself as a great songwriter either so i don't know i guess it depends on perspective well that shows a lot of humility too i've noticed that a lot of people kind of have the same sentiment there where they think they're just well they don't think they're great essentially and i i kind of like that there's no ego. Well, well, it's relative, right? I mean, music is subjective, except when it comes to Iron Maiden. So you have to, you have to really kind of take it with a grain of salt. Someone might think you're the greatest songwriter of all time. Other people might say you're the most generic sounding, boring shit ever. So I don't know. As long as you're enjoying it, it doesn't really matter. But yeah. That's just it. It goes back to that point about uh, enjoying your own music and putting out something you believe in. Yeah. Jacob said something a while ago that we should write songs that we think are fun to play and that we would want to listen to. And yeah, yeah, that's, that's a pretty good way of putting it. That's just it. And I mean, the attitude, like your, the band, your band puts out a different attitude than say uh, something like Archspire that has a completely different approach to writing music, a completely different goal set. Um, But either way, Archspire is far more popular than us though. There's that. Yeah, but you, this is also your first album. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've been surprised how much uh, reception we've been getting from it, man. It's been crazy. Like, uh, we had it put on that new wave of traditional heavy metal page. Man, we got like well over ten thousand views in like two days, and we we're like, "What? No way!" And then the amount of the amount of downloads we've been getting from our Bandcamp for the digital album, and how many plays we're getting on Spotify, we're like. Man, it seems like people actually really like this album. What what's going on here, guys? 
So it's it's kind of like a little bit of the pat on the back thing going right now. It's like we actually did really good here, right on. I think there's still like a huge draw to traditional heavy metal. Like you see quite a few newer bands, and I, I mean one of the bigger uh, heavy metal bands that I know of in Canada is Striker, and they they keep it fresh as well. Oh yeah, well, um, I guess it's just it's just what we're drawn to, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's the music we. Uh, latch on to i mean people will say oh you're just playing old rehashes and it's like well excuse me new classical music gets written still and that genre is like what 500 years old so yeah, exactly as, as long as you like it there's bound to be someone else who likes it so yeah i mean go for it well and there's so many things you look at when you listen to music it's not just the sound overall it's um you know the the, the bass player the drummer the singer they all have different um aspects of their performance that people latch onto, whether it be their sound, um, their technicality, all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah. Heavy music's it's never going away. Like like ripping guitar solos and like thunder and bass and like heavy drums, that's never going away. Even though no. water music tends to ignore it. Like if you look at pop music in the eighties, they had ripping guitar solos through like every song and now oh now it's just everything's just synthesized or digitally done. But people will always still go back and be like, I want to hear like a ripping solo. Do you think there's going to be a time where traditional bass, traditional guitar are left to the wayside and digital instruments make an appearance? It already has. That's the whole electronic music scene, isn't it? Like people, especially in the West Coast, they have drum and bass festivals. I don't see any bass guitars and I don't see any drums. It's just it's just the digital the digital instruments where you write everything in Pro Tools and all that and, and play it, which is fine. I mean. If that's how you want to make music and that's how the kind of music you want to listen to, by all means. But I don't like that they call it drum and bass because there's no fucking drum or bass anywhere. Like, what the hell, guys? I know that they have, like, their, um, the electronic drum kits, I think. I don't really know how to explain that, but I know there's, like, a, there are computer programs that simulate or emulate, I guess, the, the sound of drums. But Dude, it's not the same seeing a guy standing behind a laptop than seeing an actual live band. Oh, and he waves his hand a little bit, puts his earphones on. Like, yeah, that's not that like, what is that? That's nothing. You're saying it's drum and bass show. Where is the drum? Where is the bass? Like, where are the actual instruments named after what you're listening to? I don't get it. Like, what the hell? Well, I mean, I don't want to take too big of a shot at it because, like, the rave and electronic scene, but a lot of people who go to those shows are just so fucking high on the dirtiest of drugs all the time. It's like, that's kind of why I never got into those genres. It's like, if you have to be that high to enjoy the music, it's probably not that good, at least to me. It's actually kind of how I got out of the electronic scene. I used to go to quite a few electronic shows back in the day, and I loved it. But then just, like, I didn't do drugs. So when I would sit around and see people just high out of their mind, Mm -hmm. and I realized that it wasn't, they weren't really there for the show. Mm -hmm. It really bothered me, and that's when I started just leaving. And, uh... Then I was a little bit later introduced into like metal and I started seeing the effort and the level of skill that these guys had. And I was just hooked. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's just nothing, nothing beats the live show, man. A laptop will never beat the real thing. No, it's a totally different feeling too, because like you can sit there, you watch people perform. Mm -hmm. Whereas the laptop guy, he's just standing there again. He's maybe waving his arms a little bit, whatever. Like how, how much does he actually add being there? 
I've been to some shows where there's a lot of good mixing and and it seems like there's good mixing at least I can't prove it but then there's been some other shows where I'm like this is just your album pushing like you push play on your album that's it yeah if it's if it's what people want if that's what people want though then that's what they'll want like I used to be really sour about this kind of stuff when I was younger but how like you go around oh that's not real music that's just mass produced this and that but as I got older I just really stopped caring about it it's like man if that's what people want to listen to like, why does that bother me? That's not going to make me stop doing what I want to do. Yeah, exactly. And so people get really hung up on that kind of thing of other people liking genres they're not playing in. Like another musician I worked with uh, at a job I had was, he was really sour about that. It's like, man, he was talking about like Rebecca Black or something like that. It's like, oh, she gets a rec- <laughs> she gets a record deal and I don't. And I was like, who cares, man? Like, who cares? Are the people listening to that going to be people who would listen to you anyways? Like, what's the big are you gonna stop doing music because she's more popular than you and he ended up getting really angry and i was like fuck man i was like that when i was 20 yeah i think when you're comparing yourself to other people um regardless of whether it be music or how how well you're doing in life like it just sets you up for failure because you're going to be comparing yourself against or yeah against people who are not in the same space in life. They might not be even in the same market. So really, mm. it's not a fair comparison. And they if you're going to compare yourself, what they've gone through either. If you're going to compare yourself to anyone, just compare yourself to yourself the day before. That's exactly. All. And Iron Maiden, because they'll. It's hard, man. <laughs> like being a musician and knowing Iron Maiden exists is essentially me knowing that I can only ever be second best. It's it's hard. <laughs> I love that attitude. That's awesome. It's not an attitude. It's a fact. That's just the way it is. <laughs> so what did you think of their latest album then? Senjutsu a fucking ruled, yeah. number one. Uh, Death of the Celts is my top song off that album. There's a couple songs I'm not super into, but um, I will very openly say I did not enjoy Book of Souls. Okay. But I think Senjutsu kind of kicked it back in. I think Senjutsu might have the best guitar leads in Iron Maiden's entire discography. Like the the amount of work they put into those guitar parts and the harmonies is just insane. And you know Bruce's voice is like starting to go as well, yep. but he's pushing so hard on these songs. And it's crazy how the guy had throat cancer and he still did the album. And then he's like, Oh yeah, um I had cancer and then uh it lasted seven weeks and now I'm better. And then you see guys like Lemmy, with all due respect to Lemmy, he's like Oh, I have cancer. Then he dies the next day. So there's also that kind of longevity with Iron Maiden, not just their music, but them as guys. Like the way they just live, they're able to do this well into their 60s, which is uh, something commendable. Well, and like the energy that Bruce Dickinson still puts out is insane. Dude, for real, like, I get tired like, watching him. Nuts. I, get I know. Tired and watching I'm sitting there thinking, around. I'm like, I'm less than half his age. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know how the fuck I'm going to keep up with these guys. Yeah, it's crazy. Like even seeing the pilots, they're playing and everything. Yeah, the guy doesn't sleep. He never sleeps. He's a machine. <laughs> that's it. I guess. I guess that's the way it is. There's a really funny, um, uh, funny interview for I think it was, it's Donington where Axl Rose is shit talking Iron Maiden, and then it cuts to Bruce Dickinson in a speedo on an exercise bike, going like, <laughs> "Those guys don't know anything about rock and roll. Like they, these things all partying and girls and drugs. That's not it. No, that's not what we're about. We're about music here." Fast yeah, forward 40 years, Axl Rose uh, can't perform anymore, and Bruce Dickinson yep. can run around on stage. So I think we know who was correct. Yeah, exactly. Well, I remember 
uh, I think it was Bruce, but I remember seeing an interview where he's like, my job is to sing to the audience and I should be able to reach the person at the front and at the back without a microphone. Like my job is to deliver this to you essentially. Yeah. I remember that. I think that was an, um, that was one of the first things I saw about Iron Maiden. I think it was in one of those, I think I looked at one of their documentaries and he's like, I want if to see the guy who's sitting at the way back and point at him and then be like, oh, mm-hmm. me? And like, yeah, you. Yeah. oh this is great that and the guy's just the guy's just insane like number one i always i I don't know why i talk like that anyways uh he goes to what sarajevo where there's a war going on to play play a cover set at some guy's wedding in a bar and they're in they're in the truck going going through uh the front lines while the war is going on and this guy's like oh you guys need to put your heads down for a second they're like why and they just get grabbed and thrown down and this machine gun rips through the truck they're in then they all, they all sit back up and he's like in this cutaway. He's like, oh, that's when I knew. Oh, yeah, we are in a war zone. Why did we come here again? <laughs> and then you see him singing Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath at some dude's wedding at this ring-heating bar for no money. He's just like, yeah, these guys are in a war zone. I'm going to go I'm gonna go play there because uh, I'm nuts. But it worked out. I, I just think that's, that's cool, man. What a crazy experience. And I think uh, I might be wrong about this too, but I watched a bit of a documentary about uh, like metal in India, I think it was. And I think that Iron Maiden was one of the first bands to kind of trend. Like, was that, um, was that global metal? Those. I think so, but I, I, it's been a long time since I've seen it, so I could be completely wrong. Yeah, because I remember watching that one. I think they were the first like major act to play there. And they were doing something like, yeah, there's like 20,000 not, not 20,000, 200,000 people here standing out in the Indian sun for 12 hours to wait for Iron Maiden with no water. Like, these are hardcore motherfuckers, man. They really want to see the That's show. It. Well, and just to see the the types of metal bands that pop up in quite, uh, quite restrictive. Uh, yeah, restrictive is a good way. Anyways, what I'm trying to say is, like, to see some of these metal bands come out of those types of countries is quite, is quite empowering, I guess. Oh, yeah, man. Well, heavy metal is just, it's just a, a progression of rock and roll. And rock and roll will always exist in some form anywhere. I agree. Uh, I I think I'm going to get the name wrong, but I think there's a band that came out of India that's on the new wave of traditional heavy metal page called the Air Raid Siren, I think. Okay. Those guys are, those guys are fucking good. I'm actually going to, I'm actually going to look them up while we keep talking. Sounds good. Um, as far as heavy metal that you like, who are some of your favorite bands? Oh, well, Iron Maiden, number one. I don't know if that was clear for anybody listening. That's, you know, just I couldn't tell. At just going to get that across. <laughs> um, it really changes based on my mood. Like, aside okay. from Iron Maiden, I'll just cycle through different bands all the time. And you're always finding new bands, too. Like Acid from Belgium's really good. Randy is also really good. You know, you can't can't not like priest or saxon or motorhead or any of the old classics um we kept getting compared to blitzkrieg so i finally checked them out and yeah i'm in a blitzkrieg now too there's there's just so many uh and ensiferum because they were my first show and i still really like the guys they're they'll always be up there and then megadeth i'm still super into i will say i'm not into metallica i do not like metallica which i know is mm, not a lot of people are down with that, but it's just the way it is, man. Just can't get into them. Is that partly because of like the way they've treated fans in the past, or is that because, or is that solely because of their music? 
Um, we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, the band from India I was talking about is called Air Raid Sirens. Air Raid Sirens. Yeah. Yeah, those guys. Um, no, it's just their disrespect of the bass guitar. So in their mixes, you can't hear the bass guitar fucking at all. Like at all. Okay. I'm like, okay, well, that's kind of shitty because that's the instrument I play. So I can't really listen to a band if they're just going to treat it that shit. And then like, there's the personal history between the musicians and their fans or whatever. Like I can separate the art from the artist because the music didn't do that. It's the people. Yeah. If you view it as a negative thing. Um, but it's just the way the bass sounds on the mix. I just, I'm just so not into it. Which sucks because the riffs are so good in that in Metallica, but without that being able to hear the audible bass guitar, I'm just like, I just don't want to listen to this. Well, especially if that's something that you're trying to pick out every time you listen to a band. Yeah. Do you think that if they did increase, I, I don't know how to say this, but increase the volume, I guess, or the the input from the bass that you might change your mind? Or is well, that yeah, because people made fan albums of and Justice for All called Injustice for Jason, where they actually turn the bass guitar on, and it sounds fucking amazing. It rips. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, you can go to YouTube and look up and Justice for Jason, and it's okay. and Justice for All with actual audible bass guitar, and it sounds so good. So if I do listen to it, I just I have to crank like a bass booster or something like, okay, now this band is listenable for me. That's a really cool idea. Yeah. And then you compare that to Megadeth, which they're often compared side by side. Uh, Dave yep. Mustaine, the biggest fucking ego on the planet. How come I can hear bass guitar in his band? How come it's loud and proud? But oh, and fucking Metallica, you can't hear jack shit. It doesn't make any sense. I wonder why that criticism hasn't been brought up more. I mean, it's obviously Nobody not cares just about bass guitar. Bass. It's, it's a background ah. instrument, so no one really cares. But then by that logic, couldn't you say that like most instruments are background instruments? Not really. I mean, it, it background isn't, it's treated in the background in the mix. Like it's there to add, some people purely view it there to add like depth to the mix rather than it being an instrument that should be in the forefront, which I think it should be. Because I think it sounds really cool. Um, and then it's never generally as loud. Like drums are always going to be, drums and vocals are always going to be so loud. And then you have the egos of guitar players. So it's often, it's the oft forgotten and the oft disrespected instrument. Like if you watch Metal Ocalypse, like they rip on the bass guitar all the time. Which most of the time it is true. What they're saying, it also is hilarious. But it's like, is, are you the bass player? Shouldn't you be loading the gear? Oh, so much of that. <laughs> but yeah, it's just it's just something that uh, no one really talks about. But that's yeah, that's why I could never get into Metallica. It's just ugh, it's too much of that. And they they had one of the best bass players ever. They had Cliff Burton, and you can bear I can barely hear him on anything on anything. Like everyone's like, okay, for whom the bell tolls, you can hear him do his little solo, and you're like, okay, that rips. Uh, pulling teeth, you can hear him quite well, and then on Orion, and that's like, that's like it. What about all the other songs he wrote? Oh, it's disappointing. It's dis—they're disappointing. That's what they are to me. Disappointing. So it like, obviously, your band doesn't have that 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 same sound to it. But if you were to put in that much work and effort, and then have the instrument kind of drowned out, would you feel that the the work was worth it? Um. It's interesting that you say that uh from 
from the mixes I got or the mastering I got from our album, I wasn't actually satisfied with how the bass guitar sounded. I thought it was in this case pushed in the background quite a bit. Like once it's been uploaded, I've been listening to it through other mediums. It's the sound isn't as bad as I thought it was, or isn't as low in the mix as I, as I thought it was. But I did want it yep. louder. Um, but up until the release, I was like, I hate this album. Like I straight up hate it. Like I did not think it was worth it because I couldn't hear myself the way I wanted to. And I think that isn't just a me thing. I think that's with everybody. If you don't sound the way you want to on your work or you're not represented the way you want to, it's never going to be as satisfying, right? Yeah, totally. But now that it's out and I can actually hear it, oh, I still think it should be considerably louder with a lot more mids pumped, but uh, it's not as bad as I thought. It's actually quite good. Well, and then moving forward with your new material, that is something that you can change. Oh, right? I'm definitely gonna be more of an asshole about it when we do when we do recording. We're like, <laughs> no, I need it this way. It has to be this way. I don't know if that's being an asshole, man. I think that's just the way you want your music to sound. I think that's a great attitude. Well, let's say, being let's say aggressive or abrasive about it. Then that's fair. But you guys seem to work well as a band. Like you guys were talking, or you were talking earlier about how you um, all take on writing the songs and creating the music itself it's not just one or two people well how how shitty would it be to be in a band where someone's like oh yeah welcome to the band you can't write anything have fun yeah no shit yeah so it's like You're saying here's here's a song play it you might as well just hire like yeah studio session musicians, yeah yeah there's there's a point when if you need to replace a member we're like oh well our album's done so we can't really change a lot but going forward you can write whatever you want like when i when i pitch riffs because i'm like I'm the rhythm player, basically. I play bass guitar, so I'd be like, yep. "Hey, you guys with the melody instruments can play literally whatever you want over that. Just do whatever, as long as you harmonize it, because we have two guitar mm -hmm. players. So come on, let's go, guys, harmonize. But you can write whatever you want. So there's always that level of openness, you know. And that gives a lot more experimentation with what you're doing too. Yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, it creates a way more positive. I don't want to call it a work environment. I don't necessarily think that making music should be considered work if you're enjoying it. However, it is a work it environment. Is hard though, work. Yeah. Um, that's just it. But it's to have these people um, collaborating and feeling like they're valued. It's definitely going to come. The result is going to be better music. Oh, yeah, for sure. It is definitely a work environment, though. Like if you I am dead set in the idea that if you want your band to be successful, you have to treat it like a business. Because that's what it is, right? You're not, unless you're doing this purely for charity or, or like you're a bunch of dudes doing a cover band, you know, a couple times a year, then if you're putting out music, it is a business. You got to treat it like one. Like you can't well, be and being professional doesn't mean you can't have fun. Oh, yeah, right? for sure. Oh, 100%. It's just you need to, uh, I don't know, you need to be serious about it sometimes. And sometimes do think of it as working like, okay we're doing this for fun, but we still have deadlines. We need to meet. We still need to get certain things done by certain dates. We still need to be professional about things. We still need to make sure we're not overspending or being like drunk all the time at band practice or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You just got to take it, take it seriously. I guess you should say if it's something you really want to do, you should be serious about it. Doesn't and mean... I think that should carry over to anything you really want to mm -hmm. do. Doesn't I mean you mean, can't have fun. Perception. Yeah, exactly. So with um with your music, if people are looking to find it, where is the best place for them, uh, for you guys, if that makes sense? It depends. Um, if you're just looking to stream it, 
you can find it on Spotify on YouTube for free. I think you can stream it off our Bandcamp as well. If you want to buy digitally, uh, it's mall.bandcamp.com. If you want to buy a hard copy like a CD or vinyl, you can also order it off our Bandcamp if you are not in Canada. In Canada, you have to order it from us direct. Like uh, the way our, our distribution deal is, our label, Gates of Hell, has worldwide distribution except for Canada. We have we get Canada. So if you want to order it in Canada, you can send us an email at mallthefirstalbum at gmail.com. And uh, we will sort your order and get the shipping right and then uh, send you a CD and a vinyl if you want one. Awesome. I appreciate the chat. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today and spending this time with me. Yeah, no worries, buddy. Uh, I hope to have you guys on in the future. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. It was uh, it's pretty, it was pretty tight for my second podcast ever. It's right on. Which was your first? Uh, after, after our demo came out, uh, these dudes just went up and talked to me after showed me like, hey, we have a podcast we do out of an old butcher shop. Do you want to go? And I was like, yeah, okay. And uh, we talked about music for like 10 minutes and then they went on this political rant that they kept asking me questions about. And I was like, oh, um, yeah, I'm here with my band. I don't have, my band does not have a political stance aside from heavy metal. And they're like, yeah, but what do yeah. you think about this? And I was like, I think my band doesn't have a political <laughs> stance on this issue. I think my band likes to play music. So yeah, but what do you yeah. think about this? And I just kept answering that for like 50 minutes. And then I eventually just stopped paying attention to what they're saying until they asked me music questions, which uh, <laughs> I don't think really happened again. Do you remember the name of the podcast? Uh, something idiot, something like they're like they had the name idiot or stupid in the name, which I guess I should have read before I went because it would have made a lot more sense. But yeah, I was out of some old like meat locker or something. It was really weird. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next time on Gyro Nation Metal. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. The podcast can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you would like to support this podcast, please consider checking out my Patreon. Thank you. Thank you.